Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher, and it's 2024. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Naima Raza. We're taping this at the end of 2023 to be our first episode for 2024. What a year the last year Mm -hmm. has been. What's the word you would use to describe it? One word. I'm glad it's over. (laughs) Okay. Well, we're getting into a new one. And as we start it, we want to take a moment to look back at three topics that we covered heavily in 2023 that we think are going to continue to develop in 2024 in ways unimaginable. Yeah. Um, First is artificial intelligence. The second is politics, especially the splintering of the GOP. Mm -hmm. And of course, all things Elon Musk. Which of these do you think is more most likely to change course? All of them. I think they're all, it's, all of them. Well, we'll start this with particularly revelatory moments from key guests across these subjects and starting with AI. We've really covered a lot of AI this year. Yeah, a lot of, it's an important topic, obviously. It burst into the scene with ChatGPT, but we've interviewed, mm-hmm. along with uh, Sam Altman, we'll play in a minute, um, Reed Hoffman, Vinod Kosla, Tristan Harris, uh, Fei-Fei Lee, uh, a whole range of people to talk about it from negative and positive because it's an important development. Well, Altman's ouster at the end of 2023 and his return to OpenAI, you know, just in the course of four days, was probably the biggest tech story we saw in 2023. You were back on the front lines covering it. Mm-hmm. Someone called you Ken Griffey Jr., which <laughs> is a is a baseball term, a baseball okay. person. I don't know what that means. I'm just famous for hitting home runs, Kara. Yeah, I'm just better than they are still. But anyway, let's move on. Better than the baseball player. Okay, got No, it. than the tech reporters. It was oh. relatively easy to scoop that story. <laughs> Back in March, you had Sam in the hot seat live in San Francisco. He was high off the release of GPT-4 that same month um, and ChatGPT a few months before that. And he spoke in March of 2023 about why he became CEO of OpenAI at all. Let's play a clip of that moment. I got convinced that AGI was going to happen and be the most important thing I could ever work on. I think it is going to like transform our society in many ways. And, you know, I I won't pretend that as soon as we started opening, I was sure it was going to work. But it became clear over the intervening years and certainly by 2018, 2019, that we had we had a real chance here. What was it that made you think that? A number of things. Hard to point to just a single one. But by the time we made GPT-2, which was still weak in a lot of ways, but you could look at the scaling laws and see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, this can go very, very far. And I got super excited about it. 
Do you think that excitement got in his way? No. No, I think no. it was exciting to, to do it. No. Looking back at that interview, I mean, since then, there's been a lot of tr- reporting about the tribes, mm-hmm. what he called tribes in his emails of 2019, mm-hmm. who disagreed around ChatGPT, the kind of Excel, decel rift that started within OpenAI, yeah. um, you know, over a year ago. The interview actually aged quite well, particularly this line. I am not a natural fit for a CEO. Uh, mm-hmm. Like an investor, really, I think suits me very well. Not a natural fit for CEO. Yeah. yeah. Who is? He's, you know, I think it's it's hard to to, be, to have something so big happening and not. He's a very peripatetic person. He's restless. Mm-hmm. He wants to go to the next thing. And so I think he probably came off as more aggressive uh, than, than some liked. That's all. I don't, I don't, I, I, I'll be curious again to see what the, I don't know. Uh, yeah. So far, I couldn't find anything in my reporting and I kept checking every, every complaint about him. And they were, com- to me, minor compared to a lot of other CEOs, but we'll see. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how that philosophical tension plays out, not just at OpenAI, but at other companies where it's reportedly bubbling up too, Anthropic, et cetera. And so we'll certainly be seeing a lot of it in 2024. But a key moment this year um, was when Jeffrey Hinton stepped down from Google. Right. Cade Metz had the great piece in the New York Times about this. Um, and soon after, we had Fei-Fei Li on the show, um, a fantastic kind of part of the original generation of AI creators, someone who we might see on the board of OpenAI one day. Maybe, maybe. She worked uh, with Jeffrey Hinton. I think she trained him, I believe. And she spoke about that relationship and 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 also had her own warning message. One of the, uh, the my current biggest concern is the extreme imbalance, asymmetry of lack of public sector investment in this technology. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have heard me saying, not a single American university today can train a chat GPT model. I actually wonder if you combine all the compute resources of all universities in America today, can we train a chat GPT model? Because... Um, which where it used to be. This is where it used to be. Exactly. When I was a graduate student, I never, yeah. you know, drooled over going to a, a company to, to do my work. So now you might ask, so what? You know, well, so we're going to have a harder time to cure cancer. We're going to have a harder time to understand climate changes. We're going to have a harder time to forecast the societal impact, whether it's economics or law or, you know, um, gender, race, the political, you know, situations. All this is happening in think tanks like public sector universities right. and, and nonprofits. If the resource is really diminished, we're also going to have a harder time to assess what's going on. I think she was making a very uh, important point, is that mm-hmm. the public sector is not as involved in this. I don't think she's a very reasonable person about, uh, she likes Sam Altman, by the way. Um, she's a very reasonable person about the business part of it. I don't think she minds that. I think she's worried that government is not as as involved as it should be in previous um technology leaps. Like uh, voice over IP or every GPS or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that government can't have its arms around it, which felt the case when everything was going down in OpenAI. It felt like no one had their hands around what's going on and mm-hmm. even the regulation. But um, do you think there's a way to, to for the government to catch up now? Well, they're trying to regulate. Or the public sector, no, universities? I think, the, I, think, I think in this case, um, companies are 
private sector is running the show. This is the way it is. It's the way it's going to be. I think government can move in by regulating, um, which she talked about too, um, mm-hmm. and having a part in it and being a private uh, public partnership. I, you know, we've, they've got to insert themselves a lot more because again, it's Google's not going to work on climate change, except maybe if it feels like it or uh, open AI may or may not work on societal impact. Um, and so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. But one person who really talked about what government could do differently was Mustafa Suleiman, the co-founder of Inflection AI. He, being in the United Kingdom, had a more specific role for government to play, including the redistribution of taxes, like redistributing income to prepare for job losses, and also very specific answers on the kinds of regulation we need to put in place. Let's have a listen to that. So to begin with, I think that it shouldn't be okay for an AI system to imitate a human being publicly mm-hmm. without that being... Explicit. Explicit, right. So that's just an easy thing for us to take off the table. Mm-hmm. Second thing is that we have to have some watermark for content that allows the producer of that content to tie it back to them, right? So we don't have this imitation issue, right? And I think you, that can be cryptographically signed. And so that deals with some... Provenance. Provenance. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's table stakes. The next thing that needs to be possible is that there has to be independent third-party adversarial red teamers who can attack a model and constantly try to break it, right? We do that internally, but we shouldn't be marking our own homework. We welcome other people, and ideally they should be qualified and well-paid and you know funded by independent third-party groups that aren't attached to us who can try and do their very best to induce the model to say biased, toxic, racist, harmful content, right? I think so that's... So availability of third parties to do this, which, which social media sites have been very sketchy about. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think that's one of the failings of the social media age is that they haven't allowed transparency of how their platforms are being used. Do you see any of that happening in the United United States? That's a very interesting sure. comparison to social media sites, right? As you said, none of this has happened. No, it know, ha- the transparency. The, 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 com- the government has been much more proactive around AI than of any other technologies I've ever seen. Whether they do mm-hmm. something about it, we'll see. But they've certainly they're certainly aware of the power of this, and so. Um, you know, the problem is these companies are so powerful now and they didn't do it Mm -hmm. when these companies weren't as powerful. And that's one of the big issues. One of the arguments that Mustafa made in his interview, which which wasn't in that clip, um, was this idea, it hasn't aged that well, I don't think, but this idea that the leaders in AI now are different from the leaders that were in social media platforms of the early aughts. They were more aware of risks, more encouraging of regulation, a tight, seamless crew. Um, You think that's true? I think they are. I think they're more, yes, I do. I think they're more thoughtful, all of them. Even if they, I don't agree with them, at least they acknowledge things that they never acknowledged before. Everything was up and to the right. I think these Mm -hmm. people are not stupid and they can't pretend that this isn't incredibly powerful technology. Mm. That leads us well into uh, this conversation with Satya Nadella, this, who's the CEO of Microsoft, who you managed to score an interview with in the midst of the open AI drama. Um, let's hear from him about how he, as a leader at Microsoft, thinks about Excel versus Decel and this rift, this philosophical rift that underpinned the Sam Altman debacle. I mean, the, the, the way, at least the op- optimism I have for perhaps 
this generation of technology is the fact that this debate exists, right? I actually welcome this, right? Which is, hey, look, at the end of the day, you know, as Brad Smith would call it, every piece, every technology ever invented was both a tool and a weapon. And the question is, how can you really make sure that the use of the tools gets propagated and the weapons uh, not so much? And so therefore, us to be able to make sure that uh, we are having that conversation right up front versus sort of dealing with the unmitigated consequences subsequently. It's uh, got to be welcome. So we, so I have mm-hmm. been, it's not, I don't think of this as a split. I mean, like I think about also this, there's a timeline, right? There is the existential issues in the long run if you lose control of AI and that requires real thought and real safety research, real alignment research that you have to commit mm-hmm. to. And then the real world harms today, right? Whether it's election interference, deep fakes, bias, bioterrorism, the amount of work we did, whether it's for Bing Chat or Chat GPT or Copilot to make sure that harmful content doesn't get created. Um, so I feel that we have sort of got to work all ends of it on a daily basis. It's not just not talking about it, learning the engineering process, having these principles guide the engineering process, and then having oversight and safety boards and with real teeth. Oversight and safety boards with real teeth. Going to mm-hmm. happen anytime soon? I don't know. I think, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I am def- I'm definitely heartened by a lot of politicians and, and, and the stuff they're talking about. We'll see if mm-hmm. they have the political. I think everyone's going to be overwhelmed by the election. So possibly not. Maybe tech will once again get a break because of, uh, of a big election year. And it is an important election year. Unless there's like a bad news story, which might come out after the yeah, election. But I, what, I mean, he talked about election interference, safety yeah. issues, deep fakes. Yeah. I mean, we're going to see this in 2024 at For a speed sure. and scale we haven't seen before, right? Absolutely. Who would you want to bring on to talk about that? Oh, lots of people. You know, Alex Alex Damos. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of other people. If we were to bring on Sam Altman back for an interview yes, now. Yes, we will be bringing Sam Altman back. What would be your first question for him? Um, I think... You know, he can't talk about the investigation until it's done. But um, I think I would ask him uh, what he is most scared of. I think I'll start mm-hmm. with that. But he's going to interview me for my book. He's uh, We're going to do a, a little session here in San Francisco, which should be fun. I, I hope you can just turn that section around into being an interview of him. Obviously. Oh, of course I'm going to. <laughs> that's that's it's correct. a bit of a Trojan that's horse interview. Yeah. No, no, I, I'm doing it in every city. I'm going to have a different internet person interview me. I think it'll be interesting discussion. It'll be interesting to see how how he how his reign continues at OpenAI, and we'll hopefully have him on this year. Yep, we will. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a minute to dig into politics. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. 
That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Support for On with Kara Swisher comes from Delete Me. Unfortunately, there's a very good chance that some of your private information is available on the internet for anyone to see. In fact, I'm sure of it. And even worse, to sell it. Your name, number, home address, and other private information might be floating on the internet without your knowledge. Delete Me is a subscription service that wipes your personal information from hundreds of people search databases on the web. Delete Me finds and removes personal information sold by data brokers that you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. You can tell Delete Me exactly what information you want deleted and their experts take it from there. They will send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I really have enjoyed Delete Me. It's been pretty shocking and I'm pretty good around uh, issues of my information online, but there was so much information all over the place. It was very easy to navigate. You can see right there on the Delete Me um, report that you get what is out there and what you need to do and pick and choose what you think is important to eliminate. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash Kara and use the promo code Kara at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeleteme.com slash Kara and enter the code Kara at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash Kara, code Kara. Okay, OpenAI was the big tech story of 2023, but the big story of 2024 will probably be this election, probably be Biden versus Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, we lay the ground for a lot of this coverage in 2023, starting in April, when you spoke with Ron Klain. Yeah, yes. he was the former Biden uh, chief of staff. This was a bit of an exit interview, though. Obviously, he remains powerful and can't buy. He's working for he's working too. for Airbnb now as chief counsel. Yes, but uh, here's what we asked him about the upcoming elections. And here's what he had to say. I think it's a mistake to underestimate Donald Trump as a politician. He was a horrible president, but he found a way to defeat every Republican who came after him and defeat Secretary Clinton, who was an excellent candidate. And I think that um, he should not be underestimated politically. I think there's only one person who's ever beaten him. It's Joe Biden. And I think that's why it's important to have the president run for election, get nominated so he can make sure he beats him a second time. I think the contrast the president is going to drive the contrast between someone who spent four years saying we'd have infrastructure week and a president who succeeded in passing an infrastructure bill, which means we're going to have a decade of great public investment in improving the nation's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I think the contrast between chaos and results. And I think that um, I think that's the I think that's the contrast. That word that Ron is using, contrast, mm-hmm. is must be a Biden word because it also came up in our conversations with others, uh, including former Biden insider Jen Psaki. She's a previously White House press secretary, now the host of Inside with Jen Psaki on MSNBC. And we had her on in September for that panel, remember, about Biden, his age and his prospects. And this is what she had to say about Biden. He's still going to be the oldest person. He's already the oldest person as president. He will also continue to be the oldest person if he's reelected. But I also think it's not the worst thing for Democrats because uh, there are many Democrats out there who think, how could anyone possibly not be Donald Trump? And it's like, well, 
it's going to be close till the end, so not the worst thing. I do also agree with what Frank said about this wish casting, right? This is often what happens in this stage of the primary, which is that there is a wish and a hope for some magical purple unicorn who does not exist. And that's the stage we're in. We're not yet in the contrast stage. That's the stage they they really need to get to. But you're starting to see some inklings of the contrast, um, the way that the president pushed back on impeachment a little bit last week, a little bit, a little bit. I think they're going to get to it probably by early next year, and we'll see a kind of a slow roll of it. But but that's when people start to kind of come home historically to like, you know what? I wanted a purple unicorn. There's no purple unicorn. This guy is better than the other guy. It's a choice. Well, she's referring there, obviously, to Biden, but also to Franklin Four, who was on the mm-hmm. panel. Um, both Jen and Ron use that term contrast. So yeah. any thoughts on whether we're in the contrast phase no, now we're not. fully? We're, or? Not. we're not in the contrast phase. We're, when, it, when, it, when they're nominated is when they're in the contrast phase. And then Trump will, Trump's already saying a lot of crazy things. It's just not getting as much attention. He just said the poison in the blood. It's a, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's a Hitler term. It really truly is. Um, I know people don't like to use that. I don't like to throw that around, but that's who used it uh, most effectively, unfortunately. Um, and uh, he's using saying a lot of really unpleasant things that are, once people start to pay attention, Biden can point to it. Um, I think it's, there's a contrast. I think that is exactly, it's a choice. And then I think a lot of young people, even though they're like, I don't like Biden, they look at Trump and he says, poison in the blood and mm-hmm. this and that. And says, you know, do you want Uncle Crazy or do you want old, old calm gramps? And I think that the more they push that, the, the more you see Trump, which you will see a lot of him very soon, the more it will be troubling to independence, I think, not this guy again. So yeah. Well, let's see if any of our if our, any of our former folks run for a third party seat like Liz yeah. Cheney. Let's see. Yeah. Obviously, a lot has changed since that panel in September, including sure, the Middle East, and that you know even the Biden administration's position is changing on that as we're taping this. But um, another panelist on that conversation talked about this, like the lack of enthusiasm sure. amongst um, voters, and that was Estad Herndon, our former colleague from the New York Times. All voters. All voters. All voters. Nobody likes this choice. No, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Somewhere on some golf club, Kara, someone's really excited about this election. I don't think so. I think even those who really, they they would wish there were new faces here. Yeah, it is very tough. Um, But Estet Herndon, national politics reporter from The Times, pushed back against the usefulness of the comparative arguments. Let's hear a clip from him. I think Biden and the campaign are clearly going to make a kind of comparative argument that's been laid out here about them versus Donald Trump. But it's like never expressed like that. It's that he was elected in the sense of an emergency and they didn't really think he would last this long. Like, it's not that complicated. I think it's a persistent problem because there's nothing that putting him out on the trail can do about that. In fact, putting him back on the trail only reminds him of that fact, right? Right. And so I don't think necessarily that for the majority of people, at least I talk to, that they think Biden and Trump are the same, right? But it's that they think that the fact that the political system has produced these results has made them feel disconnected. And so I feel like I hear about not voting. I hear about third party. I hear about, like, we have a record number of people just mentioning other options without even getting them in polling. And so I'm saying it's not necessarily to me that it is expressed in kind of flattening Biden and Trump to the same, more so than it is a... A kind of dissatisfaction. It just continues a dissatisfaction with right. both parties, right? Yeah. And I'm right. saying that's the that's the thing that I don't know. Think we know how that plays out in the next year? 
I think he's dead on about that. I think he's right. There's dissatisfaction. How does it how does it manifest itself? And I think that's very clear. I, I, again, yeah. both Democrats and Republicans feel that way. If you really press them, it's not just disenchantment from the candidates. It's this disenchantment from the whole political system, is what Estad is talking about. I think he was saying, "How did we get here? And how the fuck do we fix it now?" Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, people who are thinking about that a lot are ousted Republicans. And I can't, this year, I think, you've spoken to a lot of Republicans. I, I don't think you've spoken to as many Republicans since the 1980s, Kara. <laughs> I, I talk to Republicans all the time. Um, we had Liz Cheney on last week. Before that, we had Congressman Ken Buck on, who I think has become, you know, te- your, your text BFF. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone, he's he said he's so ashamed of the party, Ken Buck, that he won't be running for re-election this year, which... Yeah. Very conservative person. It's, it's really quite something. There's a lot of people falling out. And I think probably in January, you're going to see a ton of people falling out of the of the races. And that's going to be, that'll be a big factor people haven't talked about yet. Well, maybe we're going to see some fresh faces, actually, through this process. Maybe, so. or else we'll have even crazier people. More Marjorie Taylor Greens. Fresh maybe. Marjorie Taylor Green faces. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, but Adam Kinzinger... Uh, was one of our guests. He was on, he was obviously Cheney's counterpart on the January 6th committee, the only other Republican to be on that committee. Let's play a clip from that interview, which was taped live at the Texas Tribune Fest. Here's what I think from an alliance perspective needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, the old kind of the godfathers of never Trump, the sons of never Trump, the newer ones, you know, like me, the people that are yet to come, and frankly, Democrats, left-wing, everything, we have to have an uncomfortable alliance on democracy mm-hmm. because this is a moment. Sure, <laughs> there's a lot of things that divide us and like there's a lot of issues like tax rates, whatever else, all these issues. We can discuss those for a long time if we have a democracy. Mm-hmm. And my concern right now is truly that we're at a point where we could see democracy fail. And mm-hmm. so... While somebody on the left and right may not agree on any issue at all, if they agree on democracy, that's where I think we need to see an uncomfortable alliance. Yeah, uncomfortable it is. He's right. He's right. But do you think that uncomfortable alliance will be able to survive the ambitions of politics, of politicians? Yes, of course. Yeah, 100%. What's happening behind you, by the way? Sorry, all the (laughs) kids are downstairs. They were doing something. I thought they were just so excited for the uncomfortable alliance. There was like a cheer. But there are two voters down there. If they don't go to the polls, they're in big trouble Mm -hmm. with their mother. Well, they will go. Uh, One thing that's in the way here, Fox News. One to watch. Something we covered heavily last year. Um, Obviously, we saw last April the Dominion defamation suit get settled to this tune of almost $800 million. Mm -hmm. Um, The quick demise of Tucker Carlson at the network. Mm -hmm. The, uh, you know supposed retirement of your old friend, mm-hmm. R- Rupert Murdoch, or as you call him? Uncle Satan. Mm. Do you think they'll dump Trump, Trump before Election no. Day? No. They'll do whatever's good for their ratings. That's what they'll do. And we asked this question to Jake Tapper, Maggie Haberman, and others. How do you think the media should cover former President Trump in 2024? I think they have to call out things like poison in the blood. When he was mm-hmm. saying a bunch of things, they were sort of soft-pedaling a couple things he said. Uh, I think they cannot soft-pedal the things he's saying and saying, the last person who said this was Adolf Hitler, then this is what happened. The last person who said... I think you're seeing it a lot. I saw Caitlin Collins really push back mm-hmm. against uh, Senator Ron Johnson really heavily and saying, well, he kept saying sort of vague things, and she said, Expl- give me an example. He couldn't, he didn't have any, and then yeah. he, they sent them, and they were all wrong. Like, she fact-checked, and I saw Abby Phillip do that. Uh, these are both on CNN in real time, like, with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, it just, you're seeing a lot of, like, no, that's not true, and doing a lot better at it than they used to. You know, I'm seeing a lot of that. You're seeing a lot of that. My question is, are people on the other side, are people 
elsewhere seeing a lot of that. The, the part of the challenge isn't just the coverage. It's also how that coverage gets disseminated, obviously, through social media and everything. Well, the Fox News viewers are not. Fox News Yeah, they're not saying not. that. What's the solution to that? I don't think there is. It's just what the, it's, it's, it's the swill they want to dish up to their viewers. That's the way they're going to do it. They, you know, I think they're less... Uh, they're nervous because of the lawsuits, so they mm-hmm. will be more careful to be accurate. And I think they do. They are. You're, you are seeing that. But they certainly. The other night when something massive happened, I can't remember. They had a thing on that was so not about it. It was about. It was some weird little story, and I'm like, that's not what everybody else is covering right now. And so um, I only saw it because my mom was watching it. The way out is actually you confronting your mother. <laughs> that's the whole thing. I think she's aware of Trump's problems. I think they're, but they're getting it in drips and drabs. They're not getting mm-hmm. the full thing. I don't think she knows about a, a bunch of things he said. They just yeah. don't put it on there. So, and I don't think we know. I mean, I, I sometimes I turn on Fox News and watch, and I'm like the Hunter impeachment. I'm seeing right, so much more information about. It's all yeah. that's what they're. Yeah, you know, that's what they're talking. You know what about, got so. through the Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, woman, the abortion that got through. That did get that through. got through to everyone. Yeah, that got through. My mom was very upset about that because yeah. she's. Um, I wouldn't say she's uh, a pro-abortion rights, but I wouldn't say she's against it either. You know what I mean? Like she thought that was terrible what they did to that woman and thought they were crazy. So there you have that's, it. Well, that's something I guess many mm-hmm. people can agree on. Let's see how yeah. it pays off at the polls, and hopefully we'll get you know we'll drag Donald Trump onto this show. So <laughs> yeah, fact that would be great in real time. We, anytime, we army of army of fact checkers. Yep, we will anytime, Donald Trump. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Support for On with Kara Sisher comes from Babbel. Our phones have gotten pretty good at translating speech on the fly. If you're traveling to a new country and you'd like to order a chicken sandwich with pickles, an app will probably see you through. But what if you want to chat with your server about the neighborhood or other dishes on the menu or your love of pickles? Real conversations with real people don't lend themselves to translation apps. Genuine connection requires a genuine grasp of the language, and that's something Babbel can offer. Babbel is a science-backed language learning app with lessons created by real people for real conversations. Babbel doesn't rely on artificial intelligence to build its 10-minute lessons. Instead, they're handcrafted by more than 200 language experts focused on teaching phrases and vocabulary you'll actually need to communicate. I really like it. I'm using Babbel, and I've been able to use it here in Argentina where I'm visiting my son, Louis. It's a really efficient way to learn a language. I do them very quick. It's 10 minutes. It's very user-friendly. Lots of pictures. I was never good at languages, and I'm really enjoying using the Babbel app. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash swisher. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash swisher, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash swisher. And you know how to spell that. Rules and restrictions may apply. Support for this show comes from the Harvard Business Review. I made a career out of taking to task some of the tech industry's biggest players. And honestly, some of these guys, and they're all guys, really had no clue what they were doing, and they could probably have benefited from some of the resources available at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a top source for smart management thinkers. Cultivated by some of the greatest minds in business, the Harvard Business Review is a trove of rigorous insight and best practices. It's more than just the flagship magazine, too. You can find the same level of expertise on hbr.org 
www.thepodcastnetwork.org. And for just $10 a month, a subscription unlocks unlimited access to a variety of resources like hundreds of articles, podcasts, newsletters, case studies, and so much more. I use HBR all the time to look up all kinds of cases and not just in tech and also listen to their podcasts. I look at their newsletters and I really, 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 most of all, like the articles, which have a different perspective that I might have to give me ideas. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, to save 10% off your HBR subscription, go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code CARA. Kara, you knew we could not end this wrap-up episode mm-hmm. without talking about Elon Musk. Yeah. One of the letters we most frequently get from people is they say, why do you keep talking about Elon Musk? Why do you, you know, why, why are you talking about Elon Musk? Don't give him a We get it on Pivot, too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But one of our guests this year did a powerful job articulating why. Um, Ronan Farrow. This was in a panel we had about his New Yorker article it's called Elon Musk Shadow Rule. And we had him on the show for a panel conversation with Puck's William Cohen as well. Let's hear from them. You mentioned that you spoke with more than 30 of his current and former colleagues, a dozen people in his personal life, and many government officials who admit to living, quote, off his good graces, treating him like, quote, an unelected government official. And one Pentagon spokesman even saying to you, quote, we'll talk to you if Elon wants us to, which was, that to me was the most chilling quote in the whole thing. You know, I, I too felt that that was really, really important. Uh, in all my years of reporting on national security stories, I have not had senior officials in, you know, important national security sensitive offices answering questions about important national security sensitive matters. In this case, what was happening in a military conflict on the ground by saying, we're going to seek permission from a private mogul. Uh, so I think that does reflect the the entire theme. And there there is a need to talk about uh, some of the difficulties and the dangers in this much of a concentration of power. I think uh, the beauty of what Ronan has brought to bear here is to show us, you know, the power that um, the really unprecedented situation with, you know, Elon Musk, you know, controlling the communications in Ukraine, being the one to uh, ferry astronauts up to the International Space Station uh, to put up on this unbelievable number of satellites. Uh, by the way, you know, to see it in this in the sky uh, is incredible. I mean, you, yeah. you really scratch your head saying, "What the heck is that?" Yeah, uh, and someone just like said that to me the other day. Google it and figure it out, and right. then you can say, "Okay, it's just Elon being Elon." Uh, but there's really, it's totally unprecedented, and you know, it's sort of like a natural, unfortunately, extension of our uh, capitalist system. Uh, you know, late stage capitalism where somebody am- amasses this huge amount of mm-hmm. wealth uh, by controlling uh, these companies that um, sort of are exploiting opportunities, as you said, where the, where the government, uh, you know, has sort of failed us. Obviously, Elon did not amass this power that Ronan and Bill and others, including yourself, have been talking about overnight. No. So wh- what do you think it is about 2023 that put that on the map in such a clear way? Was it Twitter? Twitter, obviously. It was Twitter. I think people were really not paying attention to him in that regard and thought he was competent, right? And and so I think he started to show some really problematic m- issues around how he expresses himself. 
Yeah. I would add to that. I think Ukraine and what he saw, Elon, at the end of 2022, starting to voice his perspectives on Ukraine and then yeah, on Twitter. the reporting on Twitter, on Twitter yeah. but, but also the fact that he controlled Starlink access, right? Or he had the decision to keep it on, turn it off. This. I guess. I, I don't know. He's been very powerful for a long time. But you got to hear from him all along. What he's saying is also different, right? No. I think he had elements of this, as I yeah. said. Um, I think he had elements of this. I think it's he's 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 curdled. He curdled over over COVID. I mm. just feel like that was that was a that was a line for him. And I know people said he was bad before that. Okay, I, I agree. Some of the stuff around the factories was problematic, but I think COVID, uh, the pedo thing, that was it started to get troubling then, mm-hmm. and then it just kept going, you know. And that was that stopped, and he. he you know, it just, you didn't see it every single day. It's a little like Trump. Yeah. You see him every single day saying something crazier and crazier. So I think that's really the issue. Well, one journalist who spent a lot of time with Elon over the last couple of years and who you thought did not grapple enough no. with the evolution or devolution of Elon Musk was Walter Isaacson. Um we interviewed him twice, once in March of 2023 at the New Orleans Book Festival, and once again this fall when the Elon biography was out. Let's let's play a clip from each of these. Here's March. I mean, I don't think that what drives him is narcissism. Okay, tell me. I, I, I think that um, this is going to sound... Actually, you'll probably get it and believe it. He is driven by a sense of mission, and there are three or four missions, some of which are just so ethereal, such as humans have to be a multiplanetary species... Yes. Because consciousness will die out if we don't become multiplanetary before the window closes on this planet. I mean, did you buy it, by the way? No, it was nonsense. It's about, it's because he's a narcissist. No, I don't buy any of it. I don't buy it. I believe it or buy it. I think he's a narcissist. He's a, he's a, he's turning into a malevolent narcissist, but he's a narcissist. And that's, he thinks he's ready player one, as Ben Mesrick said. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks he's the center of the universe. And if he doesn't save the world, this, I think Sam Altman got it a hundred percent right about him. I think Sam Altman's quote to us was, he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah, but not That's just that. If he, can, right he wants now, to save the world, but only if yeah. he's the one to save it. It's called mm, a narcissist. Yes. Um, here's Walter in September. He had him back on, and I don't think he bought it this time either. Let's play a clip. You use the word man-child in the book. I have used the word adult-toddler to describe Elon. Um, I do grok that childhood defines us. I absolutely do. I think it's critically important. Um, But do you worry this framing of Elon as a child absolves him of the accountability he deserves as a 52-year-old man? Well, A, it doesn't absolve him. Mm -hmm. So let me make that clear. And I think it's clear in the book with many anecdotes Mm -hmm. that you— but this is a complicated thing, and I think you and I talked about mm-hmm. it in New Orleans back mm-hmm. when we were eating crawfish and drinking whiskey, mm-hmm. which was when you understand a person, in mm-hmm. other words, you try hard to understand, does that morph into a gray area where you're trying to justify? Mm-hmm. And I kind of try to understand the demons that dance around in his head. Mm-hmm. Does that justify him being an asshole to people? I, I hope I can say no, 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 no. But un- part of the job of a biographer is say, I want you to understand where mm-hmm. all this is coming from. Yes, I get it. But you also allow everyone else to say it as if it's the only thing. And every time I read one of them saying, oh, but it's his demons, whether it was Grimes or whatever, I'm like, get him to get therapy for fuck's sake. Like, you know, he doesn't go to therapy. No, uh, really? Uh, you're kidding. You're kidding. <laughs> 
You're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was trying to get to it. You know, the problem with Walter is, and I get what he's saying here, but it's so romantic. And why do we give this guy so much, like, of a pass constantly? And, you know, I thought this was such nonsense from Walter, and I still think. We're going to be talking again in New Orleans uh, mm-hmm. book, for my book. Um, and it's, no, You wrote wants, the book. You wanted him yeah. to write the book. You wanted yeah. to write. That was yeah. he wrote the book. Burn book. <laughs> I think that... I think that he was constantly giving him excuses, as do many people, uh, especially, I'm sorry, white men. Like, oh, it's just his genius. Oh, it's just his upbringing. Oh, it's just this. It's constant, constant excuses for what's bad behavior. And what's really interesting is, guess what? It's gotten worse since we did this. And everything, I'm sorry to say, but everything I said would happen, happened. Everything Walter says that he would, you know... You know, moderate himself. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And mm. whether it's anti-Semitic p- promoting of anti-Semitic things, whether it's telling advertisers to go fuck themselves. So the thing that I find most problematic is actually these lawsuits that he's taking up against people to kind of clamp down. I mean, yep. free expression yep. warrior, just you know, oh well, trying to such a hypocrisy. trying to shut That's down. Not, what any, a shock! You know, what a shock! He's an incredible hypocrite. That's what he is. Yeah. I mean, we talked about having Alex Stamos on the show. Well, good luck. I mean, it's hard to get. You can't talk about it. You can't talk. Yeah. Can't talk about core subjects now because of Elon's free speech lawsuits. Yeah. I hear Clara. (laughs) Kids are still making noise. It's okay. There she is again. Talking about free expression, Kara. I know. Right. Muzzle the child. There's too many of them to keep quiet. Um, Well, one person who has shifted a lot Mm -hmm. in her seat during an interview with Julia Borstein at this year's Code Conference was Linda Yaccarino. Yes. Speaking of enablers, speaking of most <laughs> enabling enabler. Yeah, you said it's white men. Yeah. And this and this lady. <laughs> this lady. And her son. Um, yeah. Anyways, well, Linda Yaccarino, of course, is Twitter's CEO or Sino or CEO in name only. Um, Kara, explain the context of what went down at the September 2023 Code Conference. The only content is she's CEO of a company and she should be able to handle uh, a little pressure. Um, mm-hmm. What happened was we lost Mary Barra uh, as a as a speaker because of the strike, uh, the UAW strike. The GM CEO. Yeah. yeah, the GM CEO. And so I had to replace her. Um, and I'm not running the code conference, but uh, I brought in Yoel Roth because I thought it'd be an interesting contrast to Linda Yaccarino. We told her far enough in advance to understand it. He also didn't say anything as you listen. When you started to listen Mm -hmm. to them together, that was anything he hadn't said before. Uh, Yoel, of course, worked for Twitter as head of trust and safety, and he left after a few weeks into the Elon regime. Um, And then Elon attacked him and so uh, subjected him to death threats and all kinds of doxing, et cetera. So I think Yoel is really rather calm considering what happened, and Linda lost her mind uh, on the stage of code. She just melted down in a way that was really uh, problematic for someone who claims to be a CEO. Let's play a clip from each of them so listeners can hear. What advice would you now give to Elon and what advice would you give to Linda? I'll start with Linda. Um, I read I read the profile of her in the Financial Times by Hannah Murphy, and I was I was really struck by her talking about the challenges that she experiences with abuse and harassment targeting her. And I I truly feel for her. I I genuinely, genuinely do. Nobody should have to experience that. Not a CEO, not a journalist, not me, not anybody. Look at what your boss did to me. It happened to me. It happened after he sang my praises publicly. It happened after... I didn't attack him. I didn't attack the company. I, I, you quietly left. You wouldn't I, talk to me. I know that. And then he did that to me. If not for yourself, 
for your family, for your friends, for those that you love, be worried. You should be worried. I wish I had been more worried. And so uh, I, I, hope, I hope she is thinking about what those risks are and what she might face. Shortly after that interview of Yoel Roth by you, Kara, there was the interview of Linda Yaccarino. Yeah, by, by Julia Borstein, who was, did a terrific job. Let's just underscore that. Yeah, did a fantastic job. Yoel and I don't know each other. He doesn't know me. I don't know him. I work at X. He worked at Twitter. X is a new company building a foundation based on free expression and freedom of speech. Twitter, at the time, was operating on a different sets of rules, as said by himself, uh, different uh, philosophies and ideologies that were creeping down the road of censorship. It's a new day at X, and I'll leave it at that. It's a new day. Ugh, what a cod swallop. I have to say, it's nonsensical. It's not kind. He was very kind to her. She was not kind to him. Mm. And this idea that's it's so grandiose that it's a new day at X. It, it was a, Twitter was literally the free speech part side of the free speech party mm. on the internet. Now, this ideologies, I think she was making a, you know, oh, they're liberals. It's just not, this is just, this was a nonsensical interview she did. It was really a disappointment for anyone um, who watched it. And, you know, anyone who works there. I, got, I mean, there, it was shocking, not just in her response to Yoel, but also in the conversations when Julia asked her about Elon's, you know, or, or about her relationship with Elon. And Linda said, well, we talk all the time. And then, yeah, and then didn't know Julia was, was like, doing. yeah, what about well, what this? about when it he just, said this? Oh, I, I, well, it, what, he did catching what? her. Look, even just catching her on, but clearly she's not in charge of the company. It's so obvious. Um, is that is that she's making excuses almost no matter what she, what he does. It's, we know, when he says advertisers go fuck themselves, well, Elon's done a great job today in this interview, or mm -hmm. says anti-Semitic things. We're against anti-Semitic. It's just like, stop, please. It's painful yeah. to watch. And I thought what, I, what was important to put those interviews together is when you hear them together, you're like, mm -hmm. oh. And that's yeah. all you have to do. You don't have to have an opinion. You can think whatever you want. You just have to go, oh. And that's why it was so powerful. And that's, she did not rise to the occasion. It, that, was, uh, that was the reason we stayed up till 3 a.m. that night. Yeah, <laughs> you guys did a great job. <laughs> putting you up guys that did an amazing job putting um, it together. Anyways, Carol, I'll ask you a question you asked Yoel. Any advice to Linda Yaccarino for 2024? She should quit now. What Yoel said, you, you pay attention to what's going to happen to you. So that's what's going to happen to you. So. And I've asked you this before. I'll ask you again. Any advice for Elon? No, we're done. No, I'm not going to help him. Get therapy. Get some therapy. That might help you. Probably not. If he came in for, if he was up for, you know, an interview in 2024, would we take it? Would you take it? I'd have to think hard. I'd have to think really hard. Probably, but because I will I'll interview anybody, I guess. So, <laughs> but, you know. Low bar. Well, it is a low bar. I'll interview anybody. Um, it would be a difficult interview, I would say. It would be a very difficult interview. He'll he has a lot of grievances. It'll be an expression of grievances, the airing of grievances. Yeah. And I don't want to air grievances at him. I just want him to stop. Like, please stop damaging the body politic. What would be your first question? No idea. No idea. What is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? 
That's not nice. What is right with you? Yeah, I, I wanted that's to a positive rendition. Walter version. What's what's right with you? <laughs> that's what I, my first question. <laughs> I think going really in depth with him about free speech actually. Because it's be such so nonsense. Curious. No, because he'd have such bullshit nonsense. I think actually one of the things I saw in the Andrew Ross Sorkin interview at Deal Book was that Elon was willing to respond back to the like basically regurgitate the question back to Andrew in a very clear way. He wasn't mm-hmm. evading the question. No. He under, he understood the questions that were being asked of him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we went into kind of the tactical nature of like, if you believe in free speech, why are you filing these lawsuits? Why are you filing? Right. And mm-hmm. and he might even, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he yielded, but you know, Kara, you're so shrill, he says. I'm so shrill. shrill even says. dogs can hear me. Only, only my heart. Yoel is evil and my heart is seething with hate. Well, okay. woof, woof, Elon. Come on, come on over in 2024. I don't think that about you, Elon. I don't think your heart is seething with hate. I think it's seizing with a lot of troubles. Well, I would be very excited to hear that interview. Uh, we're going to end now. I just want to ask you, is there anything we didn't play? Anything, anyone you missed hearing in this best, in this kind of look back episode? Barry Diller. My Barry Diller oh. interview was really fun and actually interesting and substantive about it mixed AI with entertainment, mm-hmm. with the Hollywood scene, with the strike. Um, and just one of these, you know, he's a... He wouldn't like me calling him this, but he's such an old crocodile. He really gets it. Like, he's just <laughs> gets it. He just, he's just, I, you know, I had one reporter saying, what are they talking to her, him for? I said, because he's smart, because he gets it. And he's on, he knows what's going on and has some real insights. And he's so, he's so beyond, he doesn't give a fuck. So he says it. Yeah. So I appreciated that. I'm so glad you chose that because I didn't know you. I didn't know that that's what you were going to say. But I actually mm-hmm. pulled a moment of that interview, which is probably my favorite moment of 2023. That rat fuck of an episode with Barry Diller. Let's hear it. Let's do a mini antitrust lightning round. You said Google is an absolute monopoly. You want it regulated, not broken up. Why? Why what? Why do Why I not do you want, want it broken you, up? Yes. <laughs> Why do I want it regulated? Regu- what do you want to know? Yeah. What, well, why? Tell me why. Why do you, why do you call it because, an absolute monopoly? Uh, well, uh, honey, forgive me. The word monopoly ought to cover it. When there yeah. is a monopoly, you yeah, have okay. to have regulation. Full stop. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, forgive me. I don't listen. I would mind that from a lot of people, but not him. It was a great honey. I'll take that honey any day of the week with Barry Diller and twice on Sunday. <laughs> Thanks, honey, for a great interview. Thanks, darling. On that note, Kara, mind to read us out? Absolutely. Today's show was produced by Naeem Araza, Kristen Castro-Wissell, Kateri Yoakum, Megan Cunane, and Megan Burney. Special thanks to Andrea Lopez-Cruzado, Mary Mathis, Aliyah Jackson, and Kate Gallagher. Our engineers are Fernando Arudo and Rick Kwan. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, forgive me, honey. If not, no forgiveness for you. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. You can subscribe to the magazine at nymag.com slash pod. We'll be back on Monday with more.